0: Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. The Recovery House of Worship is an incredible church. This is an amazing group of people. And it doesn't matter where you came from, if you slept in the penthouse across the street or in the park bench next door, you're welcome to be here. Today is our Christmas service, and so it's no uh, no surprise that we're going to be talking about Christmas. And so, yeah, right? Who would have thought? And so, I want to share with you that life finds its meaning at Christmas. You need the Christmas message, not just in December, but we need the Christmas message in July. And we need the Christmas message. You know why? Because all throughout life there are going to be moments where you and I go through very difficult, very dark, very hard times, and unless we have the Christmas message, we won't be able to get through it. I I can remember times in my life. I grew up and my mother was a a paranoid schizophrenic, and if you ever had a parent who had struggled with uh, mental issues, emotional issues, you know how erratic that upbringing could be. And so she, she suffered, and that meant that I would have to be uh, uh, taken to family members' house for long periods of time and abandoned and all that stuff. And I remember just thinking, like, what is this all for? And then I remember kind of growing up with that sort of pain in my heart. And as I grew up, every time I would go through suffering and pain, I would, go, I would have this question, what's the purpose of all this? Why is this happening? Have you experienced something like that? When a a lover leaves and says, I no longer want to be with you, you you just, you wonder, you despair of life. When when the job that you wanted to get doesn't come through, there's a despair in life when the accomplishments that you thought you would have done by 30 are not only not done, it's you're 45 and you're nowhere near. You go, what's it all for? It's very easy to go through life and go with a a low-grade despair, a low-grade depression, and not understand the meaning of life at all. In fact, when we get consumed by meaningless, that's when people commit suicide or attempt suicide. That's how serious that is. That when you can't find any meaning to life, you just go, I might as well just put the pull the eject button on this one. We need meaning. Meaning is so important for us. It reminds me of uh, a punishment that was given to somebody. Anybody remember your Greek mythology class or you ever take a Greek mythology class? I loved Greek. I, I stood in the seventh grade. I went for one semester, <laughs> and then I didn't go back to school anymore. It was terrible. But it, I went for a semester, and um, and I remember this Greek mythology class. It was an awesome class, and I, was, I remember being captivated by all the stories there. But there was this one story. His name was... I Sisyphus if I I mess that up you know, don't take points off but his name was Sisyphus Sisyphus was like a uh, like a spy you know what he did he took the secrets of the gods and he gave them to men the gods got together and said we're going to give this guy the greatest punishment you could possibly think of and so what they did was they doomed him Do you remember this? He was at the bottom of a hill, and his job was to roll a boulder up the hill. But every day, just as he got to the top, just as his job was completed, just as he could get to the next level, every day, the boulder would slide from his hands and would roll all the way back down. And he would go to sleep wake up, and start it all over again. It was the worst part. Imagine this. In Greek mythology, they're trying to teach you something about life. And what they're saying is is that a life that's lived meaningless is not a life that's worth living. And so you and I, we need meaning, but where do we find our meaning? Do we find it in a lover? Many of us do. In fact, for many of us, If you gave us a lover and you took away Jesus, we would call that heaven. And conversely, if you took our lover away and you gave us Jesus, we'd call that hell. Some of us think that meaning is found in a lover. Others of us think that meaning is found in wealth. If I just had, and you know you think this way if you go, you know what, everything would be just all right if I just had this much or if I just won the lottery or if I just, and we think it's going to be found in wealth, it's not. We think that a, our meaning will be found in gathering respect of others. You know, once we, if people really respect us, so we work really hard at work and, and it's not found there either. Meaning is found none of those places, because none of those places satisfy. If you don't believe me, just listen to the interview of wealthy, successful people. Those who finally get to the top will eventually say, yeah, it's, it's no big deal. It's like they have all the money in the world, and they'll, tell, they'll be the first to tell you, money won't buy your happiness. They have all the fame and the respect in the world, and they'll tell you, no, uh, fame and respect don't buy happiness. It's, it's everywhere. But we don't listen. We, we think that that will be our meaning. Uh, I want to suggest, I want to submit to you the possibility that perhaps your meaning won't be found in your art or in your job or in your success or in your accomplishments or in your lovers or in your finances, But that meaning is found in Christmas. All of life's meaning is found in Christmas. Today, we're going to learn the most important things. Because when you and I go through things, we have to to ask the question, of course, why are we going through this? But is there any purpose to this at all? And if we're going to find the answer to that question, we're we're going to try to find it in one verse. One verse. In your bulletins, you have, uh, I believe, verses 1 through 14. uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I left it there so that you could have context. I don't like to take verses out of context. So you could see it. um, John is starting off his book, uh, the book of John. And what he's doing is he's giving us like a prologue. He's letting us know. He's setting up what's going to happen in the rest of the gospel. And the whole purpose of this is so that we might know that God, listen, There is a God, and that he has purpose and meaning in your life. And that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, that God has purpose in every moment that you exist. And he says this, and we'll just stand. We're just going to read one verse. It's verse 14. We'll stand at the reading of God's word. And we'll read this all together. For those of you who can read, just read in a nice, loud voice. On the count of three, one, two, three. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This thing right here? When you're depressed, when you're suffering, when you're going through dark times, when you lose a loved one, the truth of this verse will transform your life. We're going to take some time to look at it, okay? Please have a seat. This ends the reading of God's word. Okay. The first thing that I want you to see is the word. Do you see that in the very first two? It says the word, the word. Okay, what is the word. When, when John is talking about the word, well, he says so in verse 1. In verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the word. Pause. The word, word there is the Greek word. Uh, when John wrote this, it was in Greek. Um, and it was translated into English so that you and I can enjoy it and, and get it. Um, it's, it's called uh, logos. Logos, we get our word logic from it, but it actually had a deeper meaning. The word logos meant something more profound. To the Greek readers that would read John's letter, John is talking about something that they would have attached to immediately. Literally, logos speaks to reason for being or purpose. In the beginning was the purpose, was the word that's profound. There was purpose, that he's speaking as God as the first cause. Or not the first cause, the the causer of the first cause. In the beginning was the word. And lest you get confused, the word was with God, and the word was God. Wait. So what's the word? The word is what? Anybody know? God, right. So the first thing that we learn in this, in this verse 14, the word, we find out this truth. God is. God is. And you go, wait, I'm not sure I get that. Look, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So this logos, Now we haven't figured out who this logos is yet, but just track with me. This is so important in every one of our lives because we can't exist without purpose. And there is no purpose if there is no God. You go, no, 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 no. I find purpose in what I do. But, beloved, there's. Let me say this as respectfully as I can. Who cares? If you find purpose in what you do, I mean that with all, like I'm, I'm saying that with a broken heart. If you find purpose in what you do, who cares? It still doesn't have any purpose if there is no God. Because literally, the span of all of human existence is a blink of an eye. I'm talking about all of human existence. Like, the existence of the earth all of it is a blink of an eye in comparison to all of time. It's a, it's a blink your eyes. That's how long it is. And so you go. Oh no no no! But I find purpose in what I do. I find purpose in. Listen. It, it'll all burn. No one will remember. And listen. Did you ever? Does anybody remember ever seeing a movie? It was called uh, Castaway. It, it starred Tom Hanks, yeah. right? And it's the story of a guy who uh, thought that um, time was something that he could rule and manage. He was like this manager at FedEx, and then he was put on timeout, right? And he was given three years. And and you know what happened to all the things that he loved, all the things that were so important? You know what happened? You know what his company did? They moved on. Nobody thought about him. You know what his girl who he was going to ask to marry him did? Moved on. Married his best friend. (laughs) I I just picture that in my mind. I go, that would be a picture for me. Holy cow. Like coming back from the dead and going, you married that guy? You're crazy? It would be terrible. Here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. Nobody was mentioning his name after three years. After 30 years? Think about that. Think about that. After 30 years, very few people will think, maybe my kids. Maybe my kids. Once they die, I'm forgotten completely. I'm. I'm maybe somebody rolls up past my tombstone and goes and reads the tombstone and goes, hmm, and then keeps moving. Don't you see trying to create purpose on our own without the existence of God is to create, on a, is to create a house on sand. It's, it's not a good foundation. The first thing that our verse 14 teaches us in this Christmas message is that God does exist. The second thing, and I just want you to see this, God not only exists, but I want you to see in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Look at um, look at verse three. Through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that was made. I want you to see that verse three for a second, because God is an uncreated creator. Young kids have asked me this. Um, every time I go, oh yeah, you know, God is, they ask me this question. God made, I say, God made everything. They say, well, who made God? Has anybody ever asked you that? Well, who made God? Now, there's a, there's a, a, um, a philosophical um, answer to that. A, that. That is a question from absurdity. In other words, it's an absurdism. What that means is, that you can't, it's a question that doesn't have an answer. It's an absurd question. You know how they say there are no dumb questions? There are some. And so, and here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Um, okay. Uh, 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 Fernando. Fernando. Um, I know Fernando. Fernando's not, um, Fernando doesn't have a wife, right? He's, he's not married, right? So if I went to Fernando and I was having a discussion with Fernando and I wanted to prove my point that he's wrong and I said, Fernando, tell me your wife's name. Well, it's an absurd question because he doesn't have a wife. And if I go at that point, I go, you see, (laughs) you see how absurd that is, right? Asking him for his wife's name is a ridiculous question because he doesn't have a wife, so how could he have a name? Asking who created God is an absurd question because in this verse, John goes through great pains to say, through him all things were made, and then pause. All things, so there are two things that are in this world, things that were made and things that were not made. Got it? Anybody know what was made? Just pick something that was made. The sun. Anything else? Trees. Anything else? Water. These are all things that were made. Um, Anything else? Uh, Flowers. Okay. My belt. Right? All these things were made. Right? The stars. The moon. Okay. Anybody here? Can you think of anything that was not made? Only one. God. He's in a category all by himself. He's in a category all by himself. So it's, it's, it's like um, years ago, the Russians uh, put a satellite, and um, they, they were the first to do it, like they were uh, to, go into, to go into space. And they, and they said this. They said, um, we went up to heaven, and we proved that there was, there was no God there. There was no God there. And then there was this really smart guy, his name was C.S. Lewis, and he said this, he said, we mustn't think of God as a a being who exists different uh, from us like an upstairs tenant lives from a downstairs tenant. If we think of God as someone who exists, like we're in the downstairs, and God lives upstairs, and if we just went upstairs, then we would find God. If we believed that, then the problem with that would be is that we don't know where upstairs is. See, so what C.S. Lewis says is that you don't relate to God as upstairs and downstairs. You relate more to God the way Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. In other words, Hamlet... Is a literary creation of Shakespeare. Shakespeare writes Hamlet's, Hamlet's entire existence. If Hamlet could move to another page, if Hamlet could move to another book, he would still not find his creator because his creator is outside of the play Hamlet. What Hamlet would have to, what Hamlet would have to experience is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story. Then Hamlet could know Shakespeare. That's how we can relate to God. God is in a category all by himself. Everything else that you can think of falls under the category of made. God is the only one who falls under the category of not made. I'm building something with this because, remember, we're talking about purpose, right? So my first point is God is. That's what the text teaches us. The word. But not only God is, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, it's no comfort to think that there's a God in the universe. That wouldn't be a great gift of Christmas. Okay, God exists. Yeah, but how many people here have ever thought if God exists, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me or if he does, it's a bad thing. I've thought that my whole life. That if God exists, he doesn't want to have nothing to do with me. And if he does want to have something to do with me, it's to give me the pow-pow. For all the bad stuff that I do. That's the way I've always thought of God. God, if He exists, He exists to give me the pow pow. Never anything better than that. But here it says this the Word became flesh, and listen, and made His dwelling among us. Which brings us to our second point. God is, this is so important, guys because God doesn't exist to give you the pow-pow. God went through incredible pains to take the pow-pow himself. God God is near. God is near. God is close. God is not a God that's far away. God is not a God that's distant. God is not a God that created the universe and sort of like, I'm wearing a watch, right? And the creator who made my watch Made my watch and my watch ticks without him. No. God is a God that's near, close. And there's a reason. He did not have to be. God joins us in our suffering. You know the pain that you're going through? God. Christmas is the answer to that. God came near. Why? So that He could absorb our pain, absorb our suffering, absorb our tragedy, absorb it. He recognized that we had made our bed and He decided that He Himself would lie in it. God not only exists, God not only is, God is near. But God doesn't just exist. God is not just near. But listen to this. I love this. So right, we see, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. Now, we're pointing to someone here. Who is this son? Later on, we'll talk about how the son, Jesus is called the son something like 60 times in John's gospel, 60 times. Now, the thing is, is when you and I think of son, like I have two sons, right? And I love them with all my heart. I love them more than I love myself. And all you parents understand the beauty of that. Like, that's important. But they, and they have aspects of who I am, but they're not me, Right? But this is different than the way John meant it. When John meant that uh, Jesus was the son of God, he didn't mean that Jesus was, like, uh, created. Remember what we said? Like, you know, I have, like, I created my son. Uh, where was that? Uh, this way. Okay, it's the other way. Thank you. Like, you know, in that case, right, like, so I made my son. And, no, 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 no. Je- Jesus was the, is God in the flesh. We talk about the triunity of God or the, or the Godhead, Right? And so when he says son of God or firstborn, what it's speaking of is authority and preeminence. So for instance, if I had a farm in that time and in that place and on that day, and my son, and you are all my servants, okay? You're all my servants, I have a farm, and my six-year-old, who you just saw up here singing and doing the little dance moves, right? (laughs) Right? He was a little boy right up here, right? If you were all my servants and you were on my farm and my son said, stop doing that and do this, you would stop doing that. And you would do exactly what that little boy told you. Why? Because he had as much authority as his father. That's what John means when he's talking about Jesus being the son of God. This is such a crazy... Right now, if you go to... um, Raymond, I mean, where was that place, uh, the, the mosque uh, that we went to in, um, in Jerusalem? Um, is it, is it um, the Dome of the Rock? Is that it? Yeah, it's the Dome of the Rock. Okay, thank you, Evelyn. So um, the Dome of the Rock. In the Dome of the Rock, they're so serious about this. This is an offensive phrase to them. It's so offensive. It's on their number one uh, holy place, the Muslim number one holy place. It says, God has no son, written in Arabic all around, it, because they, they understand that if you say that Jesus is the son of God, that he has the same authority as God, they get this completely. Say that to a Muslim. Say that to a Muslim, then duck. No, the reason is, the reason is because they get it the way we don't. When we say that Jesus is the son of God, remember, we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about purpose, but I got to build a foundation here. When Jesus, they're saying that Jesus is the son of God, they're saying that he's equal to God, that he's God himself, that he has the same authority and the same power as God. And that one is, we have seen his, what's the next word? Glory. So God is near and full of glory. Remember the old T-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy? Yeah, not so much. Not so much. In other words, God is full of glory. God is glorious. God is full of awe. If If you've never been before God and been afraid, you've never been before God. God is awesome. Like you would never go to like a, you would never go to like a tsunami and go, oh my gosh, isn't that just lovely? You would never go to like a, 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 a typhoon or a, a tornado. You would never go, oh my God. No, 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 no. Tornadoes are, are fierce things. Tornadoes are crazy things. Like, whoa, when you get before God, you get before the all-powerful one. All you do is go, God is glorious. You bow very, very low, and you go, you are a great God. Now, this is super, super important to know because when you recognize that God is full of glory, you recognize that God only does, God exists for one reason, his glory. Imagine that. Now, I remember I was having a conversation with a person that I deeply, deeply, deeply love. Right. And we were having this conversation and the conversation was I was like, so so why do you live? And he goes, well, you know, I just want to, you know, in the end, his argument was that he just wanted to be happy, that if he pursued happiness, that that would be the the worth of his life, that that would be the end goal of his life. And I told him, like I tell you guys almost every week, that happiness is a moving target. That happiness is a moving target. What made me happy at six didn't make me happy at 16. And what made me happy at 16 didn't make me happy at 26. And what I thought would make me happy at 36, at 46, somehow missed the mark. I literally remember. I literally remember. I got, uh, uh, I used drugs to the degree, for some of you who don't know, I used drugs to the degree, I know I clean up well, but listen. I used drugs to the degree, to the degree that I qualified for a 12-step program by the time I was 17. Okay, now, I say that to say to you, I remember thinking at my 17-year-old self, if I just had, A house and a wife and a good job, I would be just, I'd be happy. The world would be perfect. Do you know I've gotten all those things? Like all my dreams have come true. I got a wife, I got a family, I got a house, I got all of that stuff. I got a great place to work. And they don't make me happy. They they make me anxious. They make me worried. Why do I tell you that? Because what you think is the, the goal of life at one stage of life is not. See, God is for his glory. There's another way to live. What if we don't live for our happiness, but we'd rather live for God's glory? Because God is full of glory. If we live for his glory, we might get happiness thrown in. But if you live for happiness, you lose both happiness and glory. And there's something, because our happiness shifts and changes. God's glory does not. God's glory is always glorious. Everything that God does. In fact, if you ever get stumped and when you're reading the Bible and go, why did God do that? I want you to just answer this. This is your answer. If you ever get stumped, why would God do that? For his glory. For his glory. And you go, I don't know if I like that answer. It's true, though. It's true. You don't have to like all the answers that are true. True. God exists for his glory. This is so important because could it be possible? Could it be possible? Now let's move a little bit closer to our purpose. Could it be possible that the reason that you're going through the pain that you're going through is for the glory of God? And is that okay? That you would be able, that God would be able to use me for his glory. For his glory. That I would exist for something outside of myself. That would go on long after I'm gone from this earth. That the pain that I'm going through, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the things that are going wrong, the struggles that I have, the temptations that I keep on falling to every now and again, but that I fight mightily against. Could it be that I still struggle with my sexual identity, that I still struggle with my addiction, that I still struggle with my depression? Could it be that I still struggle with these things? for the glory of God that others might see a very broken, and imperfect person pursue God and his gracious glory and even be given joy as a result. That's very possible. And that's why it's so important that we know that not only God is and that God is near, but that God is full of glory. Keep it moving. He's full of glory who came from the Father Full of grace and truth. God is near and full of glory, grace, and truth. These two are super important. I'm going to do them fast, though. Okay. Now, do you remember what I just said about God exists for his glory? That could be scary for some of us. Why? Because we've lived our lives contra God. Haven't you? And what does a glorious God do? When we live, not for his glory, but for our glory, there's some pain that comes in our lives, is it not? This is really, really important. We might be, some of us might be afraid of God. I don't know how many people have ever told me, I can't go to church. If I went to church, it would uh, the ceiling would fall down on me. And I just think, ay, Dios mío. Uh, if that was true, the, fi- the ceiling would have fa- would have fell down the first time I walked through the door. That's not true. I'm worse than you. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I'm the worst person in this room. You know what's interesting? We have like murderers, pedophiles, addicts, moms, uh, dads. We have everybody, you know, wealthy and poor. We have everybody sitting, and nobody has ever gone, no, pastor, no. Whenever I said that, nobody has ever said, no, that's just not true. No, I'm worse than you. I'm worse than you. And if God could love and be graceful to a person who is undeserving as I am, he would be doubly and triply graceful to you. You know why? Because he's full of glory, and he has to have his glory. And his glory is going to come out no matter if you follow him or don't. Now, you could find God's glory as, listen, God God gets his glory whether you enjoy it or not. And so you will give God glory question you have to ask is how you want that to come about but here's the good news and this is where we get a little closer to Christmas God will have his glory because he's full of glory but he's also full of grace grace God's grace grace that will part is greater than all my sin. Yes. That kind of grace. God is full of glory. He has to have his glory. But he's full of grace. And you go, how can he be full of both? And I, I would suggest that truth would, here's how he does it. Listen to me. He sees us and he goes, Edwin, you've been going in the wrong direction. You've. I've got to get glory. I don't leave sin unpunished. Because a glorious God would not leave sin unpunished. But he's glorious, so he desires to give mercy as well. So he punishes sin, but he gives mercy as well. And he says this, I know how to do it. Listen, how can you punish sin and give mercy as well? Somebody rapes my kid. I could give mercy, or I could give punishment, but I can't do both at the same time, right? And I don't know if I want to. I, someone rapes my kid. I don't know if I want to. But here it is, beloved, beloved. Here it is. God gives mercy and both at the same time. He punishes sin and he gives mercy. You know why? Because he's full of grace. How could God do that? How could God possibly do that? Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How could God give grace? Listen to me. Because of Christmas. God can give grace because he said, I'm going to glorify myself. You've run from me. I'm going to pay for your running. You've sinned. You deserve the penalty of your sin. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you, a g- here it is, a gift Christmas is when we get gifts we don't deserve. If it was something that you deserved or something that you earned, we wouldn't call it a gift. We would call it wages. Like, I work at this church, and y'all don't gift me nothing. You give me a wage. I work for that uh, wage, and that's beautiful, and I'm grateful eternally. But that's different than grace grace comes at Christmas. Here's what Christmas says. You and I have all done things that were wrong, not good, selfish, and self-centered. I don't care if you're a school teacher or if you're a pedophile. I don't care where you... Listen to me. God gives grace. And what he decides is that his glory is going to be shown in this way. He comes and he comes near, and he bears the weight of our sin, the punishment that you and I deserve. God has to punish sin, and Jesus says, I'm God, I'm going to punish sin, and then takes the punishment himself. He comes in the flesh. Now, if you know God already, this is a good reminder. If you don't know God, beloved, this is great news, great news. He gives grace, 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 you go but you don't understand. I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've I've messed up too much. No, listen, it's grace. If it's grace for me, it could be grace for you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's grace for the worst of us. Jesus literally says, "I've come for the sick." He gives grace, but he only gives grace to these kinds of people. You want to know? It's not a matter of rich or poor. It's not a matter of young or old. It's not a matter of wise or, or, or unwise. You know who he gives grace to? Those who have nothing. Those who come to God with nothing. That's the one he pours out all of his treasure on. I have nothing. Ah, oh, I could work with that. No, but I'm so bad. I can't tell you. Do you know what I did to my mother? Do you know how I abandoned my kids? Do you know what I did to my wife? Do you know how I, what I did to the last friend that I had? Do you know what I did? God goes, God goes, listen to me. I give grace. Grace that's greater than all my sin. He gives grace. And the way he gives grace is by taking the guilty verdict that you deserve on himself. See, because Jesus didn't stay a baby. Jesus, do you ever think about what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is there, and it's literally God talking to God. God the Son is, I mean, in other words, there's nothing that is not known. And Jesus literally says, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me, Knowing that there's no other way than to take your sin. This is great news. Why? Why is this good news isn't it? So that you and I don't have to walk around with our shame. When the devil reminds us of our past, we can remind the devil of his future. Why? Because we have been given a new gift, a new identity. Some of you have watched uh, that uh, movie, um, from Breaking Bad, the, 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 the I guess the sequel to Breaking Bad, El what is it called? It's El Camino. El, what was it? Camino, Camino. Okay, right. And and I only saw the last five minutes of it because I, life is too precious. And so I saw the last five minutes of it. My wife saw it, and I saw the last five minutes. And I saw enough that he got a new identity. He got like here's this kid. And he had a horrible past. He had murdered people. He had had lost people that he loved. He had done everything wrong. And then there's this moment where he gets a new name. And he gets resources. And he gets a new land to call his own. And he gets a new identity. He no longer has to be the old him. He gets this new, and as he's driving, you get this sense, there's something new that's starting here. That's what God offers. But God offers it at the cost. If if you're a breaking bad person, you know what it costs his mentor to give him that opportunity, right? He gives his life so that he could be free. Well, a bad guy giving his life for another bad guy is nothing like the only perfect one giving his life utterly for you and me. But that's what happened in the gospel. That's what happened in Christmas. He gives grace. He's full of grace. But listen to me. He's full of truth. And that means we can no longer, we can no longer live in the way we want or in the way we desire or go in the direction we want. We can no longer think that we're more moral than God. Like we know better than God. We're wiser than God. He's full of grace, but he's full of truth too. And so he goes, come, listen to me. You've run your life for the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You've run your life. Why don't you let somebody else be the boss? Why don't you let somebody else Take charge of your life. God can't possibly do a worse job than you've done. Why don't you let him run your life? He's full of truth, full of grace, full of truth. So here's here's what we learned today. In this one verse, I was going to try to do all 14 verses, but could you imagine, right? It's one verse, and and we're already going late. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what we learned. We learned that God is, but he just doesn't exist. He's near. And he's not near to give us the pow-pows, but he's near to glorify himself. And he could glorify himself by punishing every one of us, but rather than punishing every one of us, he gives us grace and truth. I love it. That's for you.